0: I'm going to be as transparent as possible and put all of the cards on the table, is that I got a little bit tired of agency life. And sometimes the results, uh, realistically, they were not there. It is a boring product, but it's one of the first things that I said, I want to make this product sexy. The role of every leader is to become obsolete. I think that is the biggest mistakes that companies are doing. I was looking for something exciting in my life. You know that is going to take you outside of your comfort zone, you know that you're going to feel hollow in the beginning, then what's in it for you?
1: Hey, George, welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Pleasure to have you. And I know that you travel quite a lot and usually are based in Bali. Are you currently recording from Bali or you're traveling? Yeah, at the moment I'm in Bali. Oh, in that case, hi, from the other side of the island. Unfortunately, because we said
0: that we're going to do this interview face-to-face and it's going to be the first edition with face-to-face. But anyway, I'm really happy for the invitation.
1: A bit upset as well that we didn't manage to sync to be able to do it face-to-face, but nevertheless, glad to have you here. For those who don't know you, can you please briefly introduce yourself to our listeners?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hello everyone. My name is George Danifeld. I'm the CMO of Trapo Asia. For the ones that don't know who is Trapo and what we are doing, we are the leading car accessories provider in Southeast Asia. We are basically consider ourselves as a one-stop solution for any driver. We are currently present in Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and Thailand. My role is the CMO. I'm working for Trapo for the last four years. I'm handling everything regarding marketing and business development across the region. My background is fully on marketing. I have around 15 years of experience. Also coming from the agency background and also from the startup, I used to have a couple of startups back in the days and
1: yeah, that's a little bit of a short and brief presentation about who I am. Thank you so much for sharing that. that's actually one of the reasons why I invited you to the show, because usually we have guests that are either solopreneurs or nomads, and you took quite a different path because most of our guests are leaving the nine to five to join in solopreneurship or start their own business. And you went on the other route. But the schedule is from nine to six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm really curious to find out how your journey unfolded. And why you choose this path?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And I was wondering also why I'm invited to this show, but I think that to answer your question. So, as I said, my background is working independent as a consultant, probably most of my career, probably for 10 years plus. Uh, Before joining Trapo, I was doing marketing consultancy and I was having an agency on marketing and web development and app development. And it's quite interesting. The reason probably, and I'm going to be as transparent as possible and put all of the cards on the table, is that I got a little bit tired of agency life. It was a small agency, I will say, with a couple of people, mostly contractors. The reality is that I was, it was a little bit as a rat race. I realized that I cannot grow. I realized that working with clients all over the world, uh, I don't have enough free time. Uh, it was a continually ri- rat race from a perspective of finance and scaling and getting new clients. Partially my problem, pro- partially external factors. So working for Trapu, it's one of the funniest stories and one of the stories that I'm all the time sharing when I'm, for example, going on to different conferences because I'm speaking to a lot of conferences. I was living back then still in Bali. I'm saying still then because I had a gap in this Bali experience for two years in Kuala Lumpur, where the company is located in the HQ. And while being back then in Bali, I was doing a lot of presentation in different co-working spaces. And I was talking, I was having a session called what the fuck is inbound marketing. And the founder of Trapo basically came to one of my sessions. He said that, hey, do you want to grab a coffee next day? I said, yes, absolutely. And he was basically saying to me that he's selling car mats. So that's basically the primary product that we are one of the largest manufacturing of car mats in, in this entire region of Southeast Asia. And I was my first reaction. was like, what the fuck is this boring product? Interesting enough, a couple of my presentations were involve this topic of how to sell and market a boring product. But I actually realized and I understood the need and I understood the vision of the company, so I was not actually looking for an opportunity, but rather that the opportunity presented to me and fast forward four years later in March, I'm still I'm still working with Trapo, so to summarize a little bit what I said, it was a little bit of a rat race. It was got a little bit tired of working as an independent consultant, entrepreneur, or whatever. I'm still doing intrapreneurship inside the company because that DNA of entrepreneurship is it's a virus. Once you get it, it's impossible to to get rid of. And I think that I found an amazing opportunity with an amazing team fun fact i basically started four years ago with one marketing one designer and one visual merchandise and now i'm managing more than 25 people across the region which is incredible it gave me so much of this opportunity and yeah i don't feel the pressure of work i don't feel the pressure of working for a company that's probably why it actually stuck with me, despite all of the fears that I had in the beginning.
1: love that journey. And indeed, I think that's a huge factor that you enter this growing team and a team that you enjoy working with. And since I know you personally, disclosure, George is my friend, so I know him personally, and I know how much he enjoys what he does. And this being the case, what do you believe was the main reason of getting sick or whatever of this rat race inside AGT Live? Was there like continuous chasing for clients or the overwhelming of the number of projects or what else? So it's a
0: combination. So first of all, when I, I use the word of scaling and meaning what I mean by scaling is that when I was working for clients, I didn't have time to basically to search for new clients. And for example, when I was searching for clients that cash flow was not coming into the company, so that was one part of the rat race and the cash flow. The other one was the part of the scaling. I mean, I was working with early stage startups or with startups with less funding or with small, medium enterprise companies and. The reality is that their budgets that they were having, and I, once again, I'm not the best person when it comes to sales. Interesting enough, I'm the best person when it's about selling other people. Like, for example, what I'm doing for Trapo, I mean, like I'm selling the vision, the mission, the products, and the collaboration. And we can talk also about that, how I managed, for example, to scale this company through all of the partnerships that we're having. But I didn't manage to, for example, to sell myself and the the vision of my agency and the vision what I'm doing. And that was also a situation. It created a lot of frustrations, you know, like all of these entrepreneurs and the sole entrepreneurs, and I'm guessing this is where you want to go with this conversation. They're talking a lot about the success. I wouldn't say necessarily I didn't have success because I met some amazing people and they were coming. I, I had amazing results, but I couldn't reach that level that, okay, here is, for example, two hundred thousand dollars of budget, where it was all the time like here is a thousand dollars or two thousand or five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars of budget. I want a million client, a million clients. So I got a little bit tired and sick regarding this mentality. And usually, for early stage entrepreneurs or early stage startups and early stage businesses, time and resources there is always conflicting, right? They always want fast results. Well, unfortunately, marketing, it's also about a lot of A-B testing. It's about the hypothesis that you're having as a marketing at the moment that you're going into the marketing, you're presenting your story, you're presenting your products, your services to your clients or potential clients is not going to reflect the reality from back home, right? From all of the meetings. So what I'm trying to say here is that time was from their side was also reflecting on my results, right? And sometimes the results uh, realistically they were not there, right. So I was like, listen, I cannot do it anymore. I prefer to once again, I didn't look for this opportunity of trapo kind of like presented to me. And something that I'm saying also when I'm interviewing people is that I found my garden. It's an amazing garden. I have all of the freedom to do whatever I want. Of course, according to the business goals and the financial goals and so on. But once this garden was presented to me and this opportunity presented, I basically 5x the business in four years.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of those activating in marketing fail to deliver results, not because they are bad at what they do, because they are the perfect example if you had at your disposal the right budget you're able to deliver the right results and growing five times in such a short span of time and growing such a huge team like 25 members you mentioned it's amazing and i can definitely relate as someone that works in this space as well that's more often than none you don't have proper budget to work with and with those, those a b testing and trying to figure out what exactly works in reality, it's so hard to get results. And of course, you can argue that results doesn't have to be necessarily just clients. But at the end of the day, those are the ones that matters for our clients. But going on that path of being this opportunity presented to you, I truly believe that it's more to this than just being at the right time, doing the right thing. I know that you're a driven person that is focusing on being open to opportunities. How would you advise someone to act the same, to be able to be in the situation when opportunities come to
0: them? It's an interesting question. I don't think that there is a right or wrong answer. I can tell you from my experience and something that I'm saying also to my team, That despite the opportunity being like, for example, I don't know, you're offered a new career opportunity or you're offered a new client or you're offered a new whatever it means. Depends how you want to frame that word of opportunity. Because for example, now in the work that I'm doing, it's also about opportunity from third party, let's say, potential customers or potential business opportunities and so on. Right. So for me, the opportunities now comes equal to the business that I'm working right for Trapo. It's all about listening and to give it a chance. I think that's the answer that was something that I'm saying also to me and I'm saying to my team without listening, you don't know if that opportunity is valuable or it's good for you or actually makes sense for you or for your business. It often happened that a simple LinkedIn message or a simple email di- didn't meant anything, but I could read between the lines and I was doing my research and understanding, for example, OK, what is this company doing? What's their background? What's their social proof? What's their mission, the vision? What, did they, Are they working with any of our competitors? And the reality, I basically said that, okay, let's jump into the meeting because I'm interested to understand more. So listening, and I'm seeing so often nowadays that people, they don't have time. They don't have the patience to le- listen. Listening and going with a little bit of leap of faith is giving the factor that I'm not going to discard an opportunity when I basically didn't have a
1: chance to see what the other person has to say. And that way, by actively listening and by actively researching anything that comes your way, as you mentioned from an email, from a LinkedIn message or whatever, you can actually dig deeper and see, not necessarily if there is a certain opportunity there, but just be human and connect with others, understand what they are doing, understand what they do, what they are working on. And you never know, you can end up business partners, clients, friends, wherever. And on that part of, because you mentioned a lot of your team, how you build thriving and a successful marketing team, what's your, what was your process of doing that? So, so
0: first of all, I'm always, every time that I'm interviewing someone, there are a couple of pillars, how to build a team or a successful team. I mean... I can definitely say that I'm really proud of each individual in my team. So I'm coordinating the marketing department, the design VM, which is visual merchandise for the one that don't understand is basically the ones that are because we have also an offline presence and offline shops and the entire look and feel that's basically VM and also the IT team. There are a couple of pillars that define, I can say purely from my perspective. So the first pillar is that I always going to hire people that are smarter than me. And I'm seeing a lot of managers and business owners. So I use the word business managers or supervisor. I don't like to use the word boss. That's something working in Southeast Asia I hear all the time. I'm like my the ones that are reporting to me, they are sometimes calling me my hey boss. And I'm like, I hate this word. I completely hate it. It feels like, you know, like somebody that is working in a plantation. And I'm all the time saying like, hey, I'm a manager, I'm your mentor, I'm your supervisor. So it's a lot of semantic around it. Yeah. So the first pillar is that I'm I, I'm hiring people that are smarter than me. And the reason that why I'm saying that managers and business owners are afraid because it's a lot of insecurity from their side. Each individual one, I'm giving them the opportunity. So my role as a manager is not to be hands-on. My role is to give that direction. The part of the execution stays with them. So, for example, the person that is handling the Google ads or the Facebook ads in the entire system, it knows better than me how this platform is working because they are operating on a daily basis. I know that I have full trust in them in order to execute the company objectives or the marketing objectives or the department objectives. So that's the pillar number one. The pillar number two, I like to hire people that are hustling. What I mean by hustling is not to be in a comfortable zone, not to be in a comfortable situation. Always be hungry to prove, to learn, to develop. The job description for me is not that A4 piece of paper. And that's one of the questions that I'm, ha- I'm asking at the interviews is that how do you see a job description? If somebody is calling to me saying like, yeah, the job description are basically the set of one, two, three, four, five items that I'm, I need to do. I'm basically not hiring that person. So having that hustling mentality to be always hungry for more, it's something that is in finding the entire teams that I'm managing. So, and the point number three is to basically to be a, a culture fit. Culture fit for me is that every company has. You know, like a, co- a company culture, right? We are a young, dynamic d- company. I remember that at the moment that I hired, I was hired in the company. I was the oldest in the company for me it was a shock when, for example, I, someone that I'm managing indirectly, she's born in the 2000, right? So imagine that me being born in 1985, it's a huge age gap. So even with the new generation or the generation Z, There is a huge gap, but that culture of the company needs to stay throughout. I mean, like it needs to survive generations. Doesn't matter if it's a millennial or a generation Z or whatever the fuck is going to come after that. And yeah, just having fun. I mean, like it's all about having fun. We are spending, you said nine to five is from nine to six, right? It's uh, in the end of the day, we're spending more time at work than anywhere else and i'm looking for dynamic highly motivated people and i will add probably one thing that it's definitely quite interesting that i don't know how to describe i'm hiring also a little bit on my gut feeling what i mean by my gut feeling i sometimes i had candidates that brilliant interview brilliant experience brilliant test but somehow somewhere, this butterfly, here is how I can describe the the gut feeling, right? The butterfly or the gut feeling somewhere in the stomach, it was telling me that, hey, this person is actually not right for the position. So I I didn't hire, but I, for example, and the reason why I'm driving so much for the gut feeling is that it happened to me to hire despite my gut feeling because on the factor that I was desperate when I needed someone and that person was absolutely well as... Employee Unite you know, uh, and I had to fire,
1: right? Yeah, that's a good way to actually trial things because you can end up with a pile of ideal candidates, let's say. And at the end of the day, not everyone, it's actually an ideal candidate for that job. And I love the fact that you mentioned that you hire smarter people than you. And it's something that a lot of business owners and yeah bosses <laughs> avoid to do, like to hire smarter people and then because they want to be the smarter in the room, but when you are the smarter in the room, your company won't expand, won't grow, or you won't learn new things. And how do you identify that? How do you manage to identify that someone understand better than you, let's say not specific tools or specific requirements that you have, but in the same time, they understand better than you, I don't know, maybe vision of the marketing strategies that you dream to apply, or they can bring something quite unique in you, the team.
0: Yeah. So I will answer your question through, the, through a simple vision that I have and something that I've been saying all the, also to my team, like, for example, to my vice lead is that I think that the role of every leader is to become obsolete. Once again, the role of every leader is to become obsolete. So what I mean by that is that I'm building all of the processes. So for example, I'm managing, once again, I'm managing four countries, right? But I delegated because we hired so many people for me, it was impossible to be direct manager of all of these 25 people. I think that the sweet spot stay somewhere into the I would say seven to eight, right? More than that, it's absolutely impossible. There are tons of books about this that were are saying, you know, like, because for me, I need to be, the role of a leader is also to mentor, right? I'm having like one-to-one meetings almost every week. Well, imagining that if I have 25 people, it's going to be impossible, right? To have this one-to-one meetings, right? So I created kind of like a layer or layers in between, right? Between the juniors, let's say, and me as the CMO of the company. And it's not because, you know, like I want to build this hierarchic system and this organization and this corporate environment. I said to everyone that I'm going to quit this company at the moment that is going to transform into a fucking corporate because I hate that. The reason why I hate corporate is because there are too many layers. But the reality is that I need to spend one to one with them and my role is to once again, to become obsolete by becoming obsolete. Is that all of the processes and all of the strategy and all of the vision of the company in the next, let's say, two to three years, it came from me. Right. It came from me, from, of course, with the help of my team and from the help of the business owners. Right. So it's a collective effort. But for example, when it's about marketing, I have already my vision and I know already what I need to do in the next two to three years someone needs to implement it at the moment that that certain someone is basically stepping in and starting to fill the role and starting to for me to have to provide the guidance in order to execute and also to put his own ideas right because come on times are changing in the last two, 3 years a strategy is something on a piece of paper but you need to constantly adapt it that person understand more the business than me Right, And that person becomes smarter than me. So to answer your question, I'm not necessarily hiring on hard skills like technical. I hired people that I saw the potential for them on the soft skills. I saw that they were bombing me with a million questions. They wanted to sit in all of my meetings. They were doing online courses and they were constantly looking for information. Marketing is a subject that whatever was applicable yesterday is probably not going to be applicable today. So they were up to trend to everything that is happening. And yes, they probably didn't have that technical aspect. So, for example, you mentioned tools, right? Every company is using a different type of tools, right? We are using, we are having our own Martech stack or the Martech tools, not to use fancy words. But we didn't have experience with that. But I knew I saw the potential and I understood that, okay, this person A has the capacity, the mental capacity, he has the eagerness to learn and he has also the passion to listen also, right? So this is how I basically define, not necessarily from a technical aspect, but more from a soft skills someone that has the potential to become smarter than me in that specific field. And it comes with this in the end of the day, you know, like it comes with practice, right? My, the lead of marketing, basically the person that I, is kind of like my vice, it started as an ad specialist. He was doing Facebook ads. He didn't know Google ads so much. And now he's basically leading Malaysia from a perspective of marketing. But it took me like two years plus of training and mentoring and giving him opportunity to fail. So, yeah, that's another aspect, right? Failing is something that is part of the game. How a person is becoming smarter by failing, if you ask me. I'm always encouraging my team to actually to fail. And I'm saying something, I'm saying that fail once is acceptable because that's the only way that you can learn. I can tell you like a million reasons why it's going to fail. You're basically not going to give to flying fox. But at the moment that you're basically going to fail on your own, as long as it doesn't bring a financial burden to the company or not a big financial burden to company, I'm willing to take that risk, right? I'm willing actually to see that this person is going to fail, but I'm willing to let them fail in order to learn and to, to get that lesson. But the second time we're going to have a problem.
1: Uh, I love this approach. And I think he, this is even more powerful when it comes to marketing, because marketing, as you mentioned, it's all experimentation and without failing and learning from that, it's quite hard to actually learn something new or find something not necessarily revolutionary, but something that will drive that company for, or that product will sell better and so on. And uh, speaking of experimentation and marketing. What's the biggest marketing myth? Interesting question. I have only good questions, so You
0: have only good question. You know, like it feels like that game that you freeze me for the next question. Let me give you a practical example. When I started to work for Trapo, um, everybody was saying to me left and right, the thing is not possible because it was never done before. So something that nothing was done before, it doesn't mean that it's not actually going to work, maybe because you know, like that person before there was nobody implementing marketing or it was that leap of faith that you need to take or the market was not ready and so on. So it's not going to work that is not going to work mentality. That's something that I considering. I don't know if it's the biggest myth or not, but I I think that is the biggest mistakes that companies are doing. Because doing that trial and error, it brings success. And I can tell you that not all of the ideas that I came, they were successful. My God, I mean, like I'll probably be now a multimillionaire and I will not be in your show, right? But the reality is that I was taking that leap of faith and I was trying to convince people that let's try to see how it's going, because we have that own, you know, like our own planning from inside all of the meeting rooms. And the moment that we're going to the market is probably going to fail big time, right? So the biggest myth for, or one of the biggest myths for me is, is not going to work mentality. You know, I think that you need to just do it. You know, like Richard Branson has a book about this. Right. Screw it. Let's do it. Right. It's that mentality, you know, like screw it. Let's do it. Let's see how it goes. Let's adapt and results are going to come eventually.
1: I completely agree with you. And that's, I think a big differentiator when it comes to those that are truly succeeded, both in their probably like your full-time job or such, or in their business and always experimenting, always trying new things, always going out of that comfort zone that you mentioned at some point, because going that, and you mentioning that you literally hire your team based on these things. Those that want to learn more to want to not settle for certain tasks that they attribute to them, that's how you build something sustainable and something that will eventually become greater than you. And speaking of you, because I want to go a bit off the George, the CMO of Trapo and towards George, the public speaker, because I think you're one of the person that I believe most active on the public speaking scenes and literally talk to you every single weekend, you're at another conference or another speaking gig, how you arrived at that point and what made you so passionate about this? It made me passionate the fact that it was pandemic and I was looking for something
0: exciting in my life besides sitting at in home and I'm joking, of course, but it's I'm not so far away from the joke. So, uh, first of all, I like considering all of this uh, speaking opportunities and conferences. Part of the personal branding, I wanted to position myself as a, you know, like an expert in the industry. I always was passionate about public speaking. I mean, like uh, back in the university, I was part of this. I don't know if you know, ISEC, this international student organization, right? So, I used to do trainings and. So on right. And how I basically started, I started small. I actually someone I don't remember someone was asking me this question and like how do you speak, how do you arrive at that stage that you speak in front of a thousand people or five hundred people or two hundred people? And I said that okay, you start small. So I started, I think that for me the pandemic actually created no opportunity because everybody okay, so the world was froze, there were no offline events or face-to-face events and they were coming all of this online zoom podcasts and i started with podcasts small i started with a clubhouse every single night i was in clubhouse rooms i remember that i did also with the company because we started to find opportunities to i don't know to share the story or we did like a i organized like a room with the founders of the company and me and we got a how it's called, moderator, I got into a clubhouse and I was speaking with Tony Fernandez, the CEO of AirAsia, and I asked him questions. So I got my confidence level. And after this, I went to, for example, online conferences. There were like a shit tons of online conferences, some absolutely horrible managed. some of them were really successful. Like one of them is the Reshape, where I'd still say it with pride that In that Reshape conference, on one, it was Barack Obama, and the other one was Richard Branson. It's organized by this marketing tool that is called Insider. And after this, the opportunity, kind of like the world started to spin again. And I got invited to a couple of round tables. And after this, I got invited to conferences. And, you know, like it's just kind of like a small world. One thing led to another, and people know me. And partners started to invite me, Shopify started to invite me to speak, different tools that we're using. So it was a little bit of personal branding. It was a little bit of pandemic, a little bit of being bored and trying to experiment and keep my mind busy besides all of the Zoom meetings. And it was also, for example, searching for business opportunities. I mean, like in the end of the day, sometimes when I'm speaking at these conferences, I'm considering to as work related, right? Because I'm meeting company A, company B, I'm creating I'm seeing opportunities, I'm creating connections, and it's a world that is dominated by relationships, right? You know someone that can you never know when is going to help you.
1: Yeah, definitely. And putting yourself out there like you do, and you uh, will definitely open uh, so many doors. And uh, the advice that you gave to start small, I think it's something that it's often overlooked. Because someone wants to be, I don't know, on the biggest stage of them all, on the biggest podcast or whatever, but they overlook the learning process. The small talking gigs that you can do, or like small interaction, like you did on Clubhouse and such, since we have a tradition in this show to challenge our guests to create something meaningful for the listeners, I want to challenge you to build a short step-by-step process for those that are willing to enter this stage of public speaking, but they are different than you because I know that you're an extrovert and I want to build something for those that are introverts, those that are really afraid to be on camera (laughs) talking in public. I can do uh, like a
0: business plan, like a complete business plan. (laughs) It's quite interesting your question because uh, you know, what's the number one fear in the world? Public speaking. Public speaking, right? So it's not about dying. So people are not afraid about dying. They're actually afraid of public speaking, right? To answer your question and also to give a little bit of a background, right? For anyone that thinks of going in this direction, if it's an introvert, for me, public speaking is a little bit like a muscle that needs to be trained. So if, for example, you want to be, you want to lift a hundred kg you're not going to be able to lift 100 kg from the beginning right you need to start lifting 20 and after this you're going to take some time and you want to lift 40 50 60 and it's going to be progressive for a couple of months i don't know maybe years right so step number 1 is that you need to ask yourself and to answer the question is what's in it for you so that's stage number 1 so for me was as i said public speaking and creating relationships and a little bit of like a little bit of boredness here and there so what's in it for you you know like you're an introvert you know that is going to take you outside of your comfort zone you know that you're going to feel horrible in the beginning then what's in it for you you want to build relationships or you want to be you want to position yourself as an expert in the industry or you want to learn a new skill or you want to be more comfortable, or you want to basically to share the world that, I don't know, you created something amazing, but you're an introvert, right? So whatever is your motivation behind, this is basically, you need to ask yourself, what's your motivation behind, right? Why you want to do it. So that's step number one. If that motivation is strong enough, start small. In every single field, whatever is marketing, management, history, music, PE and so on, or photography, there is, people are consuming content and most of the time it's much easier to go outside of your comfort zone when it's like this kind of interaction, like behind the screen. So don't go in front of speaking to people, in front of even 10 people because that's going to, you're going to have a block and it's going to be, it's going to feel like a horrible experience. Start searching for even a I don't know, maybe do an interview or maybe do a couple do uh, for example, in the beginning I did like, I think that I don't know, I don't remember, but if I'm not mistaken before even appearing on the stage and being asked on the stage, I think that I did like more than 40 podcasts and video contents and conferences and online conferences and so on. But I started super small, you know, like a shitty podcast and a better podcast, and a better podcast, and again, a shitty one, and et cetera, et cetera. Because I started to understand how people are asking me questions. Sometimes, for example, you you didn't ask me before any question. You didn't present me like a guide. Some of the questions, maybe I didn't have, I knew the answer, but I started to figure it out in that fraction of a second. So it's that muscle of building your how spontaneous you are and how comfortable you are with giving an answer. So start small, go on your niche. That's step number two. Step number three is prepare. If you're not feeling comfortable at the moment that you're going to go on this podcast, ask, for example, before people to send you kind of like, you know, like what are going to be the questions that you're going to ask me? And start writing down a message. I'm still doing it. For example, someone is sending me, is inviting me to a podcast or a conference and it's is saying that, okay, here are basically the list of questions that we're going to follow. I'm kind of like doing a summary on each individual question because it's better for you to be prepared rather than come like a complete idiot and not knowing what you say. And you're making a fool of yourself, especially if you're an introvert that first experience is super important and you're probably going to say, fuck it, this one is not for me. So try to avoid or minimize the risk and minimize the anxiety because anxiety still plays for me a major role. I mean, like I still have, you know, like if I'm going to a conference and I'm seeing, like, for example, like 200 people or 300 people in the front, fuck, I'm not the best speaker in the world and I'm never going to be one, but I still have that Anxiety pumping up, and I see the blood boiling a little bit, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, what I'm going to do? What if I'm going to say something and we're not going to like it? What if we're not going to ask questions, right? So that's also part preparation is also part of the step number three. And step number four is, and that's something that I'm repeating still to myself, be as human and self as possible. So in the beginning, I remember that I was, you know, like in order to be a, to appear professional, it was, I was really stiff. And what I mean by stiff, I was like, I was really boring in my, in the way that I was talking, you know, like it was really blank. And I was like, this is what you need to do. And now, you know, so it was linear, the tone of voice and it was like quite boring and no interaction with the audience and so on. But I realized that my personality is not that. My personality is to crack a joke, to share my flaws. My personality is also to share the learnings that I have and also to interact with the audience, you know, like that interaction with the audience. So be yourself. It's probably step number four. I hope I answer your
1: questions. Yeah, you rise up to the challenge wonderfully. And one thing that I want to mention about the things that you just said is that human part of things like that unperfect because even that you have this huge experience being present in so many podcasts on so many stages you're still having a bit of anxiety when you begin you're still having to prepare you're still having to you know overcome all these things because again it's not an easy fit and knowing that you are still doing it and you're being successful Is that, that was the reason why I wanted to challenge you uh, on this topic. So thank you so much for sharing that. And going a bit back to Trapo, how did you manage to create a successful product from a boring one? Because that's, I think a lesson a lot of people can learn from. So it comes all with the
0: perception and the brand positioning. So uh, for example, for us, uh, you know, like one of the, my favorite examples that I'm bringing is that don't talk about features, but talk about benefits. When Steve Jobs was coming with the iPod, it didn't say that, you know, like it has one gigabyte or 512 megabytes or whatever it was, that capacity, that memory capacity. It was saying that you can listen to X amount of hours of music. And it's, by the way, it's fitting in this small little pocket from the jeans. So that was a benefit. That was a really, by the way, every single thing that Steve Jobs is doing, I think that bes- besides the fact that he was amazing as the product visionary, or I don't know how the fuck to call him, I think that he was one of the most brilliant market person e- ever because he knew how to market a product. Right. So, for example, and the reason why I'm bringing Apple, because funny enough, that's something that we, what we want to do, how it may sound is that we want to position ourselves as Apple. I mean, like I'm taking a lot of things from Apple. So first of all, it's about talking about benefits and not about features. That's point number one. And it's all about photography, video, and that first impression. We started to work with Influencers, we started to work with brand ambassadors. Our brand ambassador is this girl that is called Leona Chin. She's a racer. She's a professional racer. She's the drifting queen in Malaysia and in this entire Southeast Asia. And we do, we did like drifting on the car mats and that was creating like people. They were like, we started to do things that nobody was expecting to do. Like, for example, for Ramadan now, we are having an animation with a dinosaur Dinosaur. and the reason why we are having this animation with the dinosaur because for example for ramadan every single narrative for the companies out there is that oh it's family it's you know like it's emotions is that you know like beautiful shooting with the family meeting and so on but we wanted to do different we basically presenting the Ramadan story with the family and reunion through two dinosaurs that are meeting together, they're falling in love, and we're going to see the parents through animation. Right. So and we started to do the drifting on the mats because nobody was thinking about it. We started to use everybody was presenting, for example, products like product shots, but we wanted to bring that human element I wanted to show that, hey, your dog is basically leaving a lot of fur in the car. And I wanted to show that dog with the fur and the shit. And we basically have our car mats and our purifier and our vacuum that can help you out to solve the problem. So creating that perception of I can relate rather than seeing this boring product, this boring product shoot and humanizing the product. That was something that was elevating our branding. And this is something that now when people are coming to me or coming to my team or coming to the business owners, they're saying, like, marketing is fucking awesome. And the way that you guys position and I see a lot of fucking copycats that they're doing now the same thing, but a copycat is always going to be five steps behind because we are constantly innovating, right? So. It was for photography, for benefits, from humanizing the product. It was also, from example, from a perspective of the collaborations that we are doing. So we started to find synergies in other industries. So we are basically partnering with Air Asia, with Grab, with banks, with car insurances, with insurances in general, and we are trying to find new revenue streams. We did fucking... During pandemic we did Clubhouse, right? And we wanted to bring customers to ask us questions regarding our products and we want them to ask them uncomfortable questions. These are all initiatives that are humanizing the brand and is giving like elevating that okay, it is a boring product, but it's one of the first things that I said, I want to make this product sexy. And I think that me and my team
1: we managed to do it. Yeah, big congrats on that. And That's the perfect example on how to stand out in a crowded marketplace, because auto industry is huge and coming in there with product that initially yourself included thought it's a boring product and transforming that into something revolutionary and something that it's actually extremely useful for all day life. It's just amazing the way you put it out there. And for those that want to connect with you, invited you to some speaking gigs or learn more about what you guys are doing at Trapo, anyone listening can get in touch with you or with Trapo.
0: Yeah. So my number is plus six zero one two. So They can get in touch with me. They can search my name on LinkedIn, George Efeld. I'm sure that you're going to have a description there. So you, you can search me on LinkedIn or you can go on my website, danifeld.com. Thank you, Gabby the person that designed and developed, my uh, that I'm really proud and I'm sharing it all the time. And more about the company, if you're searching for trapo.com, T-R-A-P-O.com, you're going to find basically all of our websites there. And they connect with me if you guys have any questions on LinkedIn, on my website, uh,
1: anytime. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And indeed, I will put all the links in the show notes. And to wrap up things, this time you have to create a challenge for our listeners that they are able to complete in less than 24 hours and uh, it will be around the topic that we just discussed with positioning Mm -hmm. what they can do in less than 24 hours to make sure they stand out in the crowded marketplace and since our listeners are mostly self-employed or freelancer aspiring uh, solopreneurs and such and usually in a crowded marketplaces like copywriters, designers, name it, what they can do in just 24 hours in order to be able to stand out. The first thing that comes to my mind
0: is to do a post on LinkedIn, where we are going to share, for example, the number one tool that we are using in order to help them in whatever career or objective that we are doing. It can be a video, it can be a blog post, but creating that piece of content that is basically going to stick and is going to stay. Yeah, I think that is the first step of providing value because knowledge is about sharing, right? I basically have an hour of my time, I dedicate an hour of my time. One, because I know you, Gabi, but also because I like to share my experience and hopefully someone is going to learn from it. and. It, is going to give me a million dollars when they're going to make a billion dollars, right? <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but that's the reality, right? Sharing knowledge. I think that we are living in a world that is so superficial and so selfish is that people, they don't like to share their secret sauce. Well, my, I'm basically open, right? So my challenge to your listener is to share their number one tool, for example, or their number one lesson that's learned in
1: the last 30 days. I love it. Thank you so much, George, for sharing this and for taking time in your busy schedule to record this with me. I'm pretty sure everyone listening will enjoy as much as we did recording it. And yeah, can't wait to see you face-to-face and catch up and probably at some point record the face-to-face podcast. (laughs) Thank
0: you so much, Gabby, for the invitation. It was an absolute pleasure and wishing you all of the best in your future. Thank you so much. Multi-million listeners podcast.
1: Thanks for listening everybody, make sure to check the show notes where you'll find direct links to the tools and resources mentioned in this episode and much more. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next one, we have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up. This is your host, Gabe Marushka with the Nomad Solopreneur Show, until next week, Pura Vida!